You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today, I have Ryan Horst, the CEO of Big Crypto, and his partner, Yoni Juleku, uh, who is the CRO of Big Crypto, and that is the Chief Research Officer and Client Fulfillment. Um, so welcome, both of you. And uh, for everybody listening, you've probably already seen Ryan on the podcast. We had an episode a couple of weeks ago, and I'll link it down below so you guys can watch it later. Uh, welcome, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back on, and I'm glad we could bring the the brains of the group on. When that's uh, that's Yoni, oh, <laughs> awesome. you're too kind. And well, thank you. I'm I happy mean, to be here. Thank you both. And, you know, Ryan, we had a really nice response to our episode and we did have like a more of a kind of beginner ish episode. So everybody's listening. If want to learn a little bit about more of the basics of crypto, you can look at that episode today. We're going to focus a little bit about a topic that we kind of touched upon the last episode, which was privacy, security and all that fun stuff. But before we kind of get into that, um, can you tell me a little bit about big crypto, what you guys do and, and what kind of keeps you busy? Yeah, so Big Crypto, uh, B-I-G is an acronym. It stands for Blockchain Insight Group. And what we do is we provide a place for education and community for individuals that are already inside of the crypto space or looking to get into the crypto space. Um, we also dive pretty deep into NFTs and do a lot of research into NFT projects. So after teaching everybody a base level understanding of the fundamentals of blockchain and cryptocurrency and NFTs and the use cases inside of our world and how we believe it's going to completely shift the way that companies do business. And uh, it's going to change a lot of things in our world that's going to make it for the better, I believe. And once we get done teaching all of that stuff there, then we teach how to actually perform proper research on various cryptocurrency projects and NFT projects. We then teach how to get set up with your own portfolio, how to manage that portfolio. And then we teach how to make passive income with the crypto and NFTs that you're actually holding. That way, it's not just sitting there in Coinbase and or in Binance where you're letting Coinbase or Binance use your money to make more money like what banks do. We just teach you what these banks, crypto or Coinbase and Binance are actually doing in order to make passive income with your money. We just teach you how to do that instead. Well, that's awesome. And what I like about what you guys do um, and, you know, why I connected with you guys as well is because you're teaching people how to do it. So like you're not telling them invest in this and do this and do that. It's like a lot of the big crypto kind of projects that I'm seeing in merchants and so forth. It's it's a lot of like people just kind of telling other people where to invest and what to do and they could be wrong and people are losing money and it's not really um, a great feeling for a lot of people. So that's why they have a bad rap. Whereas you guys are really just educating and saying, hey, this is how you do it. This is and then you make your own decisions kind of of like, obviously, I'm sure there's discussions and and stuff like that that can happen inside groups. But it's also good to have at least the basis of education and making sure that like I know what a wallet is. I know what I can do. I know how to stake. I know how to do all this stuff. Um, so anyway, thank you. Thank you guys for for all the services that you're offering to our community, to the crypto community. Um, I do want to talk a little bit and, and really dive into the meat of the conversation. Um, and I'm going to get both of your opinions. I want to know, do you think that crypto is anonymous? It is. It's not anonymous, but it is anonymous. 
right? So it's as not it's it's as anonymous as you want it to be. So if you're going out there and you're you're buying your ENS domain and then you're attaching it to your wallet address and then you're pasting your ENS domain everywhere, your your .eth address, right? And now anybody can look and see what you have. If you are using uh, best practices in order to protect your own privacy by using a burner wallet or using a transfer-based wallet that you're used specifically just for receiving and sending, and that acts as like a barrier between your uh, like where your you have funds coming in and out of and your vault that you have, you can call it if you want, then that adds a layer of privacy on top of it. So it's it's about you and how you use it, right? If you use blockchain technology and cryptocurrency technology, and you put intention behind the idea of remaining private, then you can remain private up to certain points where when you need to connect to a cryptocurrency exchange or something like that, and they force you to do KYC, which is know your customer, um, to attach it to an email address that you have. But there are steps that you can take, but they have to be intentional steps in order to try to remain as private as possible inside of the cryptocurrency space. Okay. Yoni, what do you think? Yeah, I would I would say it's anonymous depending on the protocol and how you use it. Meaning there are protocols that are fully anonymous, like uh, Monero. Uh, but then again, depending on how you use it, you can, for example, you can give your wallet address to somebody online and obviously they can associate it with you, right? So that 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 could kind of break that uh, anonymity. Uh, and uh, again, it, it's kind of similar to like what Ryan said, uh, like it can be anonymous to retail, but if a government decided to you know, pull up your records. Uh, a, a team, an on-chain analysis team like Chain Analysis, can easily track your addresses and and trace all your transactions and and trace it back to you. Um, because eventually, it depends on where you bought your crypto in the first place, right? And if you bought it on Coinbase, eventually, if you transferred from Coinbase to your crypto address, which most most of them are Ethereum-based addresses or or any addresses that can be tracked by a blockchain explorer, that ultimately uh, it can easily be tracked. So it really depends on the protocol. Well, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna present an alternative point of view here, mm-hmm. uh, and I would say that it's not. And the reason is because you know, let's play devil's advocate here. Most people don't actually understand all the stuff that you guys understand, like you know, like a coin mixer and and you know how to buy your crypto and stuff like that. So most people are just going onto Coinbase or like you know like a big exchange, buying the crypto, leaving it there, transferring it maybe to wallet and then transacting in that wallet. So in fact, I you know I would say and I don't know if you guys agree, most people would not benefit from crypto's anonymity. Would you say yes? So I, I want to kind of take this, uh, I want to provide a reference point here, right? Um, So right now we're saying that cryptocurrency isn't the most private that it could be, Uh, but there are options. And if used with intention, there are ways we can add privacy into our practices inside of the cryptocurrency space. Now, I think that if we're going to talk about privacy in the space, I think it's important to compare it to the system that we currently have in place, which is the, you know, the the banking system with the US dollars and with purchasing stocks and with traditional finance, where 
there really is no way to have any sort of privacy with that. If I'm sending US dollars somewhere, that's being tracked. If I am buying a stock, that is being tracked. If I'm buying gold, that is being tracked. There is no option for anonymity if you're moving inside of the traditional finance space at all. So Ryan, you were saying, essentially, if you're using, let's say, SWIFT, which is pretty much what people are using to send U.S. dollars all over the world, they're, you know, they're obviously they're identified and so forth. But, it, you know, again, just to kind of bring in a, an extra point here is that your regular person like me, if I send you a wire for whatever amount, um, yes, the banking system will know who I am, who you are, but the outside world won't. Uh, mm -hmm. With crypto... Mm -hmm. You know, I can say, hey, uh, Yoni, I sent you 10K and Ryan, you will know, you know, if you can reverse engineer, uh, if I've sent you money in the past that I've sent this to Yoni and I've done this and I've done that. So would you say that that crypto maybe even kind of removes even one layer of anim anonymity there because it's 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 kind of goes to the the open public mm -hmm. if if we say? I would say it's uh, pseudo anonymity. I can't even say the word, but uh, anonymous. <laughs> um, uh, that's what I would say it is because again, like you have these, you know, uh, wallet addresses, but unless you can link them to somebody, it's just another person at the end of the day. Right. Um, okay. So uh, that's my thing. But with Ryan, what he's saying is that, you know, ultimately it, it depends on where you value the, where you value being anonymous, right? Whether you want to be anonymous from, you know, the public or, you know, from the banking system, right? Okay. And in, in crypto, you have both options. Uh, and that's what's something that traditional finance doesn't have because okay. you can, you know, obviously Tornado Cash got sanctioned, but, you know, there is uh, there are other privacy protocols that even shield your wallet addresses uh, where you can, you know, interact, send money to somebody. Um, and, you know, you can selectively show um, your wallet address to a specific person. So okay. um, that's an option for it. Um, and and I think the the most, uh, the one thing that's really transparent right now has been DeFi, uh, decentralized finance, right? And this is kind of like, you know, a the irony of crypto because at the same time, it's so transparent, yet, you know, the government is like, uh, you know, haunting down crypto, uh, even though they can literally see every transaction for it. So like, I, I think that obviously with, with when it comes to privacy, um, you know, I think that for them to, to have any private protocol that is outside of their jurisdiction where they can't see, um, the only thing traditional in finance in traditional finance is really just cash, right. Yeah. For use. That's that's pretty much it. Ash is king. It's still, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's still the king of the of the anonymity. But you know, yeah. what would you say? You know, if you know people, I hear this argument a lot, and I'm going to again talk about the people who are. You know, there's always these like naysayers in crypto that will always have something kind of negative to say, and then there's the people. I find there's crypto is still in in this like there's either people who love it and will find every excuse in the book to say that how great it is and everything that it does, and then you have the people who are completely opposed to it and they'll always have very negative things. It's it's a hot and cold kind of topic. Now, what would you say to the people who are kind of cold to it and say, why do you even want? anonymity like why this is more kind of like a, a little bit getting diving yeah. into your brains not necessarily a technical question but like you know what do you care maria if i know that you sent ten thousand dollars to ryan what would you right. say to that? i mean that has a, a huge social impact on this right you know 
if people can see what you you do and you know sometimes they they might formulate uh different opinions for that uh, you know where like you send it for a wrong reason or they don't agree with that and that can you know start up arguments or or your boss can see like where you're spending money right this becomes a, a social credit system dilemma in my opinion and that's where we're heading in in terms of cbdc's right and this is a, no, another topic but without privacy uh if let's say you have a crime for you know getting a DUI, right? And then the government can say, okay, I'm going to limit you on how much you spend on alcohol because I see your history and I put you a, a limit on that. You know, that's where privacy becomes extremely important. Or let's say your health, you have diabetes and you want to buy a sugar sweets or something and they limit you based on that. So it, it's, it, it really affects your personal life. And, and this is what really concerns me regarding CBDCs, because effectively you're in total control of the government because they control the money. Well, that is very dystopian 1984 shit. So that's like, <laughs> I'm going to go buy a Snickers bar and the government's going to be well, like, no, 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 thing. that diabetes. <laughs> it's it's already that. happening. It's already happening in China, though. Um, you know, for, for people that want to book flights, um, let's say they, they have opposing views on governments or they've been into like, uh, you know, um, all of these rallies and protests and they can track your name and they'll say, no, you, you cannot spend money on this flight to fly somewhere. So it's already happening. And, wow. you know, ultimately, you know, what a lot of nations want is, you know, power and control. And, you know, with CBDCs, the reason why they've, I think they've favored a lot of stable coins is because ultimately influences the dollar more. But now, you know, obviously with, with them not really having control of where it goes and, you know, true tracking control, like, uh, you know, they want to develop something where they can put in place and have like a, a system where they can dictate uh, on how the economy goes. And, and for me, that kind of kills the open market, the free market system that we have now. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree with you. It's just, I'm just in general, a private person. I just don't want people to know because I don't want people to know, not because I'm doing anything illegal. So I did want Absolutely. to kind of dispel the rumor of like, a lot of people are like, well, why, why, why? I'm like, well, I just, you know, if I go to a specific salon or if I get plastic surgery, do I want everybody to know that I, you know, I got injections or I did this or I did that, you know what right. I mean? I'm not saying I did, but I'm just saying, you know, like it, it just if if you have that kind of stuff out there and, you know, people can track and can almost kind of paint a picture of who you are, what you like, what you do. And that kind of takes away an element of privacy. So I did. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned this stuff because a lot of people associate privacy with illegal it being right. illegal and it's not it's just you know you don't you do you want you know even if you write to your boyfriend or girlfriend like a, a text message like even if it's like hey what's for dinner like you just maybe don't want anybody to read because you don't want anybody to know that you eat like crap or whatever you mm -hmm. know um so that that's an interesting point what what's your opinion on that uh ryan i'm curious to hear yeah so i mean anonymity and privacy um it it also can eliminate prejudice um from a lot of instances you know like like we have somebody in our discord community and i don't know what he looks like i don't know what his real name is i know the area he lives in but i, I don't know really anything about him other than just he really knows what he's talking about when it comes to cryptocurrency and we might even hire him one day if it comes to that you know with our business where it would make sense and I don't care that I don't know his name. I don't care that I don't know like really anything about him because the only thing that really matters 
is that he knows what he's talking about and he's passionate and he enjoys what he's currently doing because he helps out with our community all the time mm. and like for free. He doesn't, he doesn't get paid right now. Wow. <laughs> and so like it, it's, it really eliminates any sense of potential prejudice, which is really cool. But, and then the other side of things is there's a lot of, there, there could be potential risk. Like if you're in the financial industry and you are creating, uh, so I have a, I have a contact that has created a uh, protocol. I won't, I won't actually name it or anything that is helping anonymous business owners inside of the space remain anonymous, but be able to be held accountable for the platform that they're building. And in doing so, they can receive an NFT. So what they will do is they will apply to be a verified anonymous owner of a protocol so that they are tied to that protocol, like them, like their name and like all that stuff. But then they can still remain anonymous in the full space. That way, if something was to go wrong with the project that they're having, that they're going in their rug pulling or like doing something like that, they would be held accountable for it, but they can still remain anonymous. So I've talked with him a good amount about this stuff. And he is actually remaining anonymous for the project that is actually being the whistleblower for some of these different things and and providing this this NFT-based verification for these anonymous business owners inside of the crypto space. And what he is doing could pose a risk if he is like a whistleblower for this stuff and he gets people in trouble that were coming out as anonymous and then... Um, not coming out as anonymous, but but remaining anonymous with these projects. And then they actually do rug pull and they've been verified. And then his company whistleblows on them and then they get in trouble. Well, he doesn't want people coming after him one day, right? When you're in the financial industry, there's, there could be risk attached with this stuff. So now this is the, the anonymity is a way for him to keep his family safe. And for him to have peace of mind that while he is on the front lines of making sure that he's basically being the the crypto police right now, then if he whistleblows and he does catch somebody doing something that they shouldn't be doing inside of the space, then he doesn't have to worry about people coming after him one day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the interesting interesting thing that you said is safety and, and so forth. And obviously, because of, you know, again, the one thing that is good with Swift and so forth, you have your money, you have to wire somebody, there's records and so forth. If you are known to have a lot of crypto assets, or you're known, you're very kind of outspoken in the space, um, you know, your safety and your, 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 your family safety and so forth can be, um, you know, can be compromised. And, you know, I think in the, in North America and, 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 you know, Western Europe, kind of the first world countries were a little bit oblivious to this, but if you're like in a third world country, like you need like armed guards and shit, if you're talking about this stuff and, and so forth. So that's, you know, uh, it's, it's something that people consider. And I'm, I'm happy kind of to close the loop on this, this topic is really, Privacy doesn't mean that you're hiding something or you're doing something illegal. Um, and that that's I, I just kind of wanted to spell it out because I, I get that question a lot. And I'm like, listen, it's just like, you you know, like we all said not to, to be repetitive here. It's just you just don't want people to know stuff about you. 
That's yeah, it. I want to add one more kind of like analogy to this. It's like the superhero mask. It's like, you know, when, when Spider-Man loses his mask and I think, what was it, the Dr. Octopus or something? One of those <laughs> villains ends up going after his family once he realizes who he is. Yeah. Right. So it's the same kind of scenario here inside of the crypto space. Yeah. What in your opinion, is the use case of crypto. Like, I mean, we've talked about it as an asset, like kind of beat that to death. It's an asset. Okay. But in the end, like, what is the true value? Like uh, other than it, you know, people kind of exchanging it, is there going to be something in your opinion, that's going to revolutionize it being used? So I want to dive into this real quick. Um, So it's a very broad question for starters, uh, which is okay, because I, I like that, because that's the question everybody else has as well. Uh, so I'm glad that you asked that. So it's hard to pinpoint this is the exact use case of cryptocurrency, because that's like trying to pinpoint what's the use case of stocks. Like there's so many different kinds of stocks, right? And there's so many different kinds of cryptocurrencies, and they all have different use cases, right? So, but if I were to try to summarize um, the whole point of cryptocurrencies, it's to create decentralized currency solutions that are tailor-made for specific experiences. So Bitcoin, for example, has its own specific use case to be a neutral reserve asset that is digital, that can be very easily stored, can be very easily transferred, all of that stuff there. Now, when we talk about cryptocurrencies that are built on different blockchains, like built on Ethereum, for example, Ethereum is a cryptocurrency that is used to facilitate transactions on the Ethereum blockchain. So in order for a block to go through, in order for data to be added onto the blockchain, we need to have these transactions processed and gas has to be paid. Now, Ethereum, why didn't they just use US dollars is a question that could be asked. Why don't we just use US dollars in order to pay for transactions on Ethereum like we do for everything else in the world? Well, the reason is because if we have a centralized currency being used inside of our decentralized ecosystem, then it's no longer a decentralized ecosystem. So now that then gives us the answer to why we have so many cryptocurrencies out there, because all these different cryptocurrencies are built within their own ecosystems, like Farmville. If Farmville was a decentralized application, it wouldn't be able to use the U.S. dollar. I'm taking it way back right now. (laughs) It wouldn't be able to use the U.S. dollar to be the form of transaction in, in the currency used on that platform. But since it's centralized already, they could do that. If Farmville was decentralized, they would need their own cryptocurrency within that ecosystem to break themselves free from that centralized government monetary policy that's going on. I'm going to cut you off just right there because I have something that I'm going to I'm going to counter that with. Okay, so we have government controlling and I want to hear your response to this. So don't forget your thought, but you have government controlling a centralized currency like U.S. dollars, right? You know, the administration right now is printing money. They're like making it rain for everybody. Everybody's kind of doing that. Inflation's out of control. Um, you know, the same thing, let's say for Bitcoin, ETH and so forth can actually happen because there could be market manipulation because there are some people and entities that hold a large amount. And given, you know, the market caps that are there now, somebody like a, a huge, let's say Bitcoin holder can like 
destroy Bitcoin's price like tomorrow mm-hmm. morning. So, you know, if, if I say that to you, then is decent is is Bitcoin really decentralized? And is it really like if it can be manipulated like that, which has happened before, right? People who are dumping stuff like, you know, different ICOs and stuff like that. I can answer that for you. Uh, So, I I mean, ultimately, like uh, what you're really saying is just, you know, the price manipulation, but, but has anything changed fundamentally about that protocol, right? Has it been hacked? Uh, Can you not transfer anymore? Is the blockchain shut down, right? Are the mining uh, rigs stopped? Um, Is is there, you know, no more interest in in the protocol? So like if somebody, let's say, you know, Satoshi supposedly has a million Bitcoin in his wallet, right? Let's say if you were to, you know, dump all of that Bitcoin into the exchanges and would tank the price, you know, I think the demand will still largely be there. You know, obviously fear, fear is ultimately temporary because when you have something that actually works and people use, the demand is going to take it to where it needs to be. Okay. Um, so it, it really, you, you, you like uh, factoring price is just one tiny equivalent of, of everything. You have to look at the network value, the network effect of it, right? The number of users growing on it. So if something, some, a large entity were to dump uh, a large amount, um, sure it would cause, you know, fear temporarily, but it ultimately it would distribute that Bitcoin onto more hands, right? It would have a more distribution and therefore, therefore being more decentralized in a way. So as we are going forward, there are cycles, people, large whales that have a large amounts, obviously they, they capitulate and, 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 uh, you know, take their money and then that all ends up falling into uh, the other hands, right? So it's just a flow of money ultimately, but the protocol and the underlying protocol is still the same. So I'm going to ask you a geeky question. Sorry. Sorry, Ryan. I have to ask a really geeky question right now to Yoni and you know, you're talking about the protocol being safe and so forth. And, you know, I, I, I like to I like to bring up some interesting contrarian points here, moving from, let's say, proof of stake to proof of work, which we're seeing, you know, with ETH and so forth. Do you think that that or or I'm even going to add another um, mm-hmm. another example, like the Lightning Network, uh, mm-hmm. you know, two layer, second layer solutions and stuff like that. Is that going to make it more easily manipulable or you know, problems can arise, you think, in, 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 in those with those types of technologies or, or that kind of changing the protocol around and, and so forth? Yeah. So so with the Lightning Network, is, is it's essentially a layer two on top of Bitcoin, right? It's yeah. not supposed to uh, f- uh, process fast payments and cheap payments because Bitcoin takes, you know, a long time to for the transactions to settle. So with newer protocols that are built uh, to leverage, you know, Bitcoin security or Ethereum security, I think they ultimately have to start off in some point of centralization and progressively decentralize along the way, um, because it's not really a, a neutral protocol that Bitcoin that started when nobody really had anything or knew anything about crypto, right? Um, so the, that's why Bitcoin is so valuable because of, because of how decentralized it is. So uh, I think for a, a lot of them that are either layer twos or alternative layer ones that are you know built for specific functions, I think it's a process of decentralization um you can't just start something with a, a group of random people not having a you know a, a, a an idea a formulated idea not having any leadership right that ultimately has a a, a different product market fit uh for it 
Okay. And now, Ryan, I'm going to ask you a, a question based because I, I, I see you nodding your head. So I know that you agree with Yoni. So I want to see, hear your perspective on what, like, if what Yoni is saying is that you have to kind of start centralized and then go decentralized, um, aren't we kind of doing like a government thing kind of, but just deciding that, you know, the the Bitcoin community is doing this or, or key people, let's say in ETH protocol are like, who are they? I guess this is maybe a better way to ask it. Who are they to make these decisions? of like going from proof of stake to proof of work or, or forking or like what makes them, is it because they're altruistic and they're actually looking for the good of the community? How can we make sure that it's not just people trying to manipulate things? So for, if we're going to talk about Ethereum switching from proof of work to proof of stake, that is, um, that's a decision that was made in order to create a more sustainable uh, protocol. So Proof of work takes a lot of energy out of the world in order to make the whole blockchain operate and run. And um, so who is the Ethereum team in order to do this? Um, I mean, they're the ones that created it. So, I mean, they currently hold like the number one position for like the blockchain that's being used to, to develop on top of for smart contract based blockchains. And, you know, if at some point you have to look at you know there's there's self-interest right is it in ethereum self-interest to create a protocol that is better and improving in order to progress the entire space forward and the answer to that is yes so like we're we're not quite in an environment to where we can just trust everything to be fully decentralized right now so i think it's important for these protocols to have a level of centralization still for maneuverability reasons. If we move every single protocol into being decentralized, the decision-making processes and the action of things will actually be slower. Because if you wanna maneuver a big, a really big ship, then it's gonna take longer to make a U-turn versus a ship that's just a little dinghy on a boat if the decisions are being made by just a few people, right? Okay. So for I believe that for the sake of innovation, I think it's important that we do still have a level of centralization with the decision making of go what's going on, because this space moves so fast that if everything was left up to everything being decentralized right now, I don't think that we everything would keep up like it's supposed to. So if, if I can add to Ryan's, um, really, the, the proof of stake uh, was proposed uh, by, like, obviously, the Ethereum core team. Because ultimately, when you look at the transactions on Bitcoin versus Ethereum, Ethereum just blows it out of the water, right? Because it's really meant for creation and there's so many uh, decentralized apps built on it. And with proof of work on them, there is so much activity that ultimately the uh, power consumption on Ethereum would like uh, largely overweigh what Bitcoin has because there's not, Bitcoin isn't really meant to be used of, of like decentralized apps being built on it. It's supposed to be, you know, a sovereign decentralized uh, protocol where you can store your value, right? And th that's why they opted for proof of stake to be more en energy efficient for that matter. And when it, when it, you transition to proof of stake, ultimately it's really not up to Ethereum core developers to say, hey, we want, we're going to move here. So now you're forced to move here. All of the decentralized apps, uh, you know, all of the companies that are building uh, building on Ethereum, um, they decide where whether they want to, you know, move on to the new one or the old one. And it's been, you know, 
99% of them are migrating because they ultimately agree with with the team. So it's still their decision on where they want to build. They can still build protocols on the old ones. That's why there's forks coming, right? The fork is where the, the chain splits, um, where you have the old chain still running on proof of work and you have the, the new one that's on proof of stake. Um, so I guess that that's my, my thing. Like it's, it's still not, you know, it's still decentralized in terms of like decision-making because what makes the chain valuable is the protocols that are being built on it. And if, they can decide which chain to support and you know they're choosing the proof of stake and this transition wasn't even possible unless if enough eth was actually staked in order for this to happen so by the individuals putting their eth up their 32 eth up or if they use some other pooling system like rocket pool to put their eth up for being staked that essentially was like the people of the ethereum community like casting a vote like, yes, I want to do this yeah. because they could earn interest. And I would also like to believe that not just because they can earn interest, but also because it's better for the overall community. The interest they're earning wouldn't outweigh the, you know, the potential, you know, damaging side of it if there was one. Right. It's like everybody's casting a vote by staking their ETH. So it's still a community decision at the end of the day. But that decision was put in action by the core development team. Um, what's your opinion on, you know, which cryptocurrencies are going to stand the test of time? Let's say, let's say we'll, we'll put it for 2030 because, you know, everybody has this like 2030, like in 2030, is Bitcoin going to be around? ETH going to be around? Like, are people just going to be, there's going to be like everyday uh, kind of use case? Or do you still think, you know, there's going to, it's, it's going to be more like a stock market kind of thing where it's just a select group of people? So I'm going to start off by actually listing a category. So um, because I think that's the easiest way to answer this is um, I'm going to say go with infrastructure based projects. So like uh, Chainlink is an infrastructure project, right? Or, or Oracles are used in all kinds of different um, cryptocurrency based projects. Um, layer one blockchains, layer zero blockchain infrastructure, layer twos, right? These projects that other projects are building on top of have a lower risk attached to them because think of like the risk as like, you know, ladders, right? If you're, if the bottom rung um, is like a layer one, then everything built on top of it is a higher risk as you go up, right? So if there's projects built on top of a platform, then the individual projects that are built on top of it can fail and it doesn't affect the layer one. But if a layer one, so the, the baseline project that everything's built on top of fails, then everything that's on that platform fails with it. Unless if they become chat chain agnostic and they build on multiple different blockchains, which is a possibility as well. So I'd say that working with, you know, the infrastructure plays are the safest, kind of like Back when the California gold rush took place, the individuals that bought the pans and sold the pans that the mine, the, the panners would use to pan for gold were guaranteed to make money. But if you bought the pans and you tried to ban, pan for gold in order to test your luck and catch something, you, you more than likely lost money and time on top of it. So in my opinion, going with infrastructure plays like Ethereum and Cosmos and Bitcoin's not infrastructure, but Bitcoin's like, you know is is the og you know it's it's the granddaddy and um ogs go down though right ogs <laughs> go down like the, well you know i the the uh netscapes of the world you know um yeah, so I, 
There is yeah, that. I don't see that happening with Bitcoin, with Bitcoin though. Okay. <laughs> so you still think Bitcoin's going to be, do you, do you think that Bitcoin's going to be the reserve currency kind of thing? Like it's going to be what everything's pegged against? So I, I think that if if you're going to compare Bitcoin versus gold, which is the, the thing that you should compare it to, because it's a neutral reserve currency, just like gold is, I, I think that it's a no brainer that we move over towards Bitcoin being the neutral reserve asset over the world over time. If you look at purely fundamentals and you take out ego, right, because ego is what prevents a lot of people from moving over to better things. Absolutely. So if you look at all of that, Bitcoin is much easier to transfer. Bitcoin is much easier to store, right? How much does the government spend per year to hold all of that gold that's in Fort Knox? They have thousands of military personnel that they employ on salary every year. They have an entire massive infrastructure that holds that gold in place. And it even has like flooding mechanisms built into it, which who knows how much that costs, right? Like they pay millions and millions and millions of dollars just to hold that gold there. And that same amount of gold, if it was hold, held in Bitcoin, would cost them nothing. It would be zero dollars. And it'd be much easier to transfer places. And then if we're also thinking about all these governments moving over to a CBDC, a central, um, a, oh geez, central bank digital currency, then why would it make sense for the neutral reserve asset, its asset to not be on the blockchain? Mm-hmm when they could have both the CBDC on the blockchain and Bitcoin on the blockchain. From from a, a standpoint of just ease of use and accessibility, it just makes sense from that perspective as well. So it's just, and if we're also talking about energy efficiency, right? Bitcoin is can be mined in a fully synthetic process, meaning that we don't need to use the natural resources of the earth in order to mine Bitcoin. We can mine it with solar power with wind power. We can use renewable energy resources 100% in full to mine Bitcoin. That's not possible with gold. Gold, you have to dig into the earth. You got to use gasoline machines in order to dig into the earth and you destroy ecosystems. It's just, in my opinion, everything just lines up to where fundamentally Bitcoin is just a more logical solution. Interesting. Elon Musk would probably disagree on the the. That's why he stopped accepting BTC, right? He said it's not oh, man. Uh, energy efficient. But that's another conversation. We have to have another one. So Yoni, you I want to hear. <laughs> I want to yeah. hear your your final thoughts on where we're headed in twenty thirty. Uh, I think twenty thirty is going to be uh, where I think Ethereum is pretty much going to be everywhere. In, in our daily lives, incorporated somehow, um, whether it's by layer twos, whether it's you know incorporated in our personal finances. I think stock market is going to be on chain. Uh, it's definitely going to be on chain. There's just there's too many advantages for it. Um, I I think Bitcoin does have a chance uh, to be you know some kind of a neutral reserve currency. Um, might could compete with gold, but it, I think it's going to take longer than you know by 2030. Um, I think it might be on its way there, but it's going to take longer than people think for that. But I think ultimately Ethereum is going to be like the, the better infrastructure play just because it it is like the lubricant of a Web3 data economy, essentially, yeah. the, way, the way that I see it, um, the oil of, of, of that. Um, so, yeah, I agree with uh, Ryan on infrastructure plays. And I think it's too early to really call any layer ones because I know a lot of people are saying, oh, Cardano is going to be this much by 2030 or, you know, Solana is going to be this much, right? But, you know, if you can look at it today and see which protocols are ad- adopting, but things change so vastly. Like, uh, 
you know, sometimes there's a lot of uh, protocols being built and then the money, they run out of money and all of a sudden they jump onto the other one, right? So people are just hopping on from protocol to protocol. So what I do like what Ryan said about Cosmos, because with Cosmos, it's like a, a little, uh, you know, hedge against what, what Ethereum is doing, where Cosmos embraces uh, blockchain sovereignty, where instead of, you know, being a, a building an app on top of blockchain and being imposed to its limitations, you build your own blockchain and you set your own rules on it. And um, I think it, it might be a good play by then where it's going to be like a ecosystem of thousands of different blockchains interacting and communicating. So infrastructure in terms of blockchain communication, um, infrastructure in terms of like the security, the base layer, then of course you have to add Bitcoin in there. Um, but yeah. No, that, I mean, I, I like you guys have a positive perspective and, 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 and I think it's important, obviously, for the space that you're in, that you're not, uh, you know, uh, you're seeing all this possibility. I think that, uh, myself personally, like I, I have like, you know, obviously big bank kind of background and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying to obviously, uh, hang with the cool kids in the crypto space and kind of do both. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm so positive about Bitcoin itself, because there are a lot of things and, you know, I, we kind of touched upon it, it's a little wonky, you know, uh, in terms of a technology, in terms of how quickly money is moved, how much it costs to move money, because, you know, there are people who are kind of holding transactions ransom for, for big fees and stuff like that, um, obviously. So I, 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 I am a big believer on blockchain technology and its use cases. And one thing I wanted to kind of end uh, on a positive note from all of us is that, you know, you were saying, uh, um, Ryan, that you, you were talking to this guy, you have no idea who he is, what he looks like, what he does, anything about him. Uh, but he knows a lot about uh, crypto and you thought maybe he can, you know, contribute or, or be an employer, whatever the case is. There's one use case that I love with blockchain in general, and it's HR. You know how there's, you know, a lot of people who say systemic racism and mm -hmm. prejudice and all that. Mm -hmm. If your, you know, resume, for example, is on blockchain where, you know, things like my my last name you know i have a, a greek last name and, and sometimes it can work against me if i'm applying for a job it's like oh, i don't like you know you have a negative association with greek people i i don't want any greeks on my team i don't want any of this on my team i don't want that you know whereas if you're you know just a blockchain id and your your resume is there people are actually hiring you for your merit so i think in you know to close this conversation up is you know privacy is important uh we have to achieve a level of privacy i think we all agree on that in order to make this a viable system for everybody and in the end uh we'll get there <laughs> i guess that's what we're we're getting to we're going to get there um i do want to thank you both for your time this was like a an amazing conversation i hope everybody's enjoying i have some links down below guys uh with you know um ryan's information yoni's information and our past episode and i thank you both again for your time hope you found today's session valuable if you have any questions for me or just want to connect please feel free to visit my website mariasparagis.com that's m-a-r-i-a-s-p-a-r-a-g-i-s.com I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once.